really is good to be with you guys this morning. Um, just to give you a more thorough recap of uh, what's going on with my wife and I. I'm married. been married for three and a half years. We have a 10-month-old. His name is Judson. And uh, we started our, our church plant uh, five weeks ago yesterday. And uh, we're called Sojourn. Simply, maybe you're like, what, what in the heck is Sojourn? So Sojourn, the meaning of Sojourn is that we're temporarily passing through and knowing that even in light of what we're talking about with Lent is that there's ultimately one end goal, and that's to be with Jesus. And so we're on a mission together, ultimately with that goal ahead of us. And so we're passing through with that in mind as our end goal. And so that's who we are. Our, our vision is to exalt Jesus by being a, a gospel-centered, worship-driven, disciple-making community. And so we've been going for five weeks. It's been a lot of fun. We meet at five. We have dinner together. If you guys want to hang out with us, you can bring a meal. And uh, we just spend some time together, and then at six, we start our service. And so that's that. And uh, good, so I want to pray for us, and then uh, we'll just jump right in. Lord, even in light of looking at Lent and looking at what you've done for us, we do want to remember that we were children of wrath, sons of disobedience, but you you were great in mercy. You sent your Son in the fullness of time. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you that you came and you took our wrath and the punishment we deserved for our sin and you took it on yourself and you demonstrated your love for us while we were yet sinners, you died. And so we remember this morning that we don't need to come here to appease you. We can come here resting in the gospel and the good news of what you've done. We can be confident before you with our faith applied to you. Lord, we thank you, God, for your, your faithfulness. While we are faithless, you remain faithful. For that, we thank you, Lord. We say you are worthy. We pray that you would be lifted high tonight or this morning, Lord. You would, you would increase, we would decrease, Lord. Lord, we ask for your spirit to open our eyes to see your son a little more clearly today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we were all like that. We all did that at one point in our lives, you know. It's all good. Um, so we have this thing called Lent, and it's, it uh, was established probably 18 plus hundred years ago in the early church where they celebrated Lent as a, as a time to reflect why Jesus came and a time to reflect our own mortality and a time to remember that we are in need of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's, not, it's not a means to try to pay God something back for all He's done for us. That's not the point. The, the, the goal is to just abstain from things, to experience and to open our hearts, God, in a little more uh, real of a way, and so it, 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 it causes us just to put a bullseye on our hearts. We just abstain from certain things and say, Lord, would you awaken affection for my heart, for Jesus to love you a little bit more. And so, you know, Lent is just a great time. We're going to spend more time talking about it, but it's just a great time to, to dial down so that we can experience Jesus and to love him a little more deeply. And that's really the goal of Lent and what our desire is. And, and so I know that um, the theme for you guys is freed from and freed to. And so that's, that's the theme in the verse. If you want to turn to Hebrews 12, verse 1, we'll look at this verse, spend some time in it this morning. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Here's some pages turning, so I'll just say Hebrews 12, verse 1, one more time, so it's not too awkward. Um, good. There we go. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which 
cling so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'll just read the second verse just so we can get the whole kind of deal. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, one thing that we can kind of experience in this generation, this younger generation, but also beyond that, is we've kind of overlooked the power of words. You know, it wasn't until the, the brainiacs at Apple came out with this phone called an iPhone, and on the iPhone was this software called an autocorrect system, where you type in a, a little word on your texting or your email, and it fixes your word for you. And so sometimes it's a good thing, and sometimes that can be a really bad thing when you end up sending something you didn't mean to send because it put a word in there, and you end up sounding like a pervert or a moron. And so, you know, so in light of that, though, we experience that words actually matter. Words are important. So if we look in this verse, we see that there's implications in the verses or in the, the words that this writer gives to us. And the word for, uh, therefore has, has great ramifications for us because if we overlook that word therefore, we don't understand the broad storyline of what he's intending to write to us and we can miss the context and the flow that the writer is in. The writer has just finished as in, being in Hebrews 12.1. If we look to Hebrews 11, we see that the writer has just finished writing about these guys that are just seem like superheroes. They're like the Marvel comics of the Old Testament. These guys are just awesome. And it seems from a distance that they have everything together. And they're, they're people that we're supposed to have as our witnesses, that we're supposed to have set before us so we can run the race that is set before each of us. One thing's clear that the writer isn't saying in, in, verse, in 12 verse 1 is there's so great a cloud of witnesses. He's not saying that there's some stadium up in heaven that people can go to when they get bored with God. You know, if, if you get bored with God, you can just go to the game and watch people play the game called life. And they can, you know, you can watch them interact with things. That's not what he's saying. What's, what's clear, I've heard some people talk about that before. There's kind of this stadium in heaven. That's not, people aren't just going to a game to watch us do life. Like they're, like God is so much more enjoyable than we can ever imagine. And for them to be asleep, which is what Paul is a nice way of saying people have died. When they're with Jesus, there's such glorious reality of being with him and enjoying him and so that's what's going on they're enjoying the lord but they are a witness to us and so if we look at their witness we see it says therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us lay aside everything that's hindering us the sin which so easily it entangles us for the purpose of running the race and not just running but running with endurance the race that is set before us and so we see that these guys are our wit- and gals are our witnesses to be encouraged to lay aside. They laid aside certain things. They laid aside certain sin so they could run their race set before them. And so we see them as our witnesses so we too can lay aside certain things and we can run the race that is set before us. So we have to ask ourselves, who are these people? What makes them the, the who's who of eighty sixty five? What's so great about these people? You know, if you grew up in the church, you, you're familiar with names like Abel and people like Enoch, who's like the Houdini of the Old Testament. Like he was here and then he wasn't and he's gone. And then we look at, you know, Abraham, we look at Noah, we look at Moses, with the felt board Moses with the big beard and this burning bush. You know, we are familiar with these guys in a little way. But as we look into their lives in a little more uh, clear way, we see that these guys aren't as glorious as they might have been depicted on the 
front cover, we look at Abraham on the front cover, he seems like he's pretty legit. But if you look into his life, you see, if you, if you look into his life, you see that he had no problem with calling his wife his sister so that he could be freed from any kind of um, punishment that he would deserve for having, from having a pretty wife. And so he says, call me brother. I'm going to call you sister. You might have to have sex with the guy, but I'm just going to, I want to be set free from any kind of punishment that I'll receive from him. So you have to deal with the punishment and I won't. What a coward that he would put that pressure on his wife because he didn't want to get messed up. And so we see that's Abraham. And then we look at Moses. He was on the Egypt most wanted list. He killed somebody like a police officer. And so he runs out and people are looking to find him. And we read on, we read this girl named Rahab and she's this prostitute and she would only have made it if she lived in Vegas in our day. And if we look at David, he's a womanizer and he wants this girl who has a husband so he's willing to kill this guy so he can have this girl. And so we look at these people, these, this hall of faith, you know, this great hall of faith, this semi-corny way of saying these guys are pretty legit. And we look at them and we realize they're kind of messed up. Like they don't have it all together. They're actually really messed up. They have issues and they have problems. And so two things we can, we can glean from that. One is that everybody is messed up. There is nobody that has it all together, which means there's only one hero of the story. His name is Jesus. There's no real man of God. All men and women are broken. And there's only one real climax hero of the story, and it's Jesus. And so we're called to see these people, to realize they're weak, and in their weakness, they're setting their eyes on the coming Messiah. And so we too can see that everybody is broken, but there is one who we're looking to. There's one who was tempted in every way, yet without sin. There's one who overcame the world, though he was filled with all manner of temptation. He overcame them, and it's him that we look to. There is one who is the hero. And secondly, we see that these people were approved by their faith. We have to ask ourselves, what is faith? If they were approved by their faith, what then is faith? And so let's back up to Hebrews 11 verse 1 and see what the writer says because he's going to tell us. Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance or substance or the reality of things hoped for, and the conviction or the evidence or the proof of things that are not yet seen. So the assurance of things hoped for. What does that mean, the assurance of things hoped for? At the heart of faith, it's, we find discontentment. At the heart of faith, there's a, there's a reality, a heartfelt reality of dissatisfaction. I have hope, and through hope in something, I'm discontent, and my certain circumstance. So, if you're hoping for a better job, that means the one you have or maybe the one you don't have, you're, you're discontent with where you are, so you're hoping in something else. If you're hoping for a spouse, that means you're discontent and being single. If you're hoping for more hair or a different figure, that means that maybe you're discontent with your current circumstances, your current body type. The root of faith is the feeling of discontentment. It is the assurance of what you're hoping for or what you're expecting to happen and the conviction of that, seeing it played out. See, faith isn't a feeling. It isn't something you can see necessarily or something you can hear, something you can even touch. But faith is a concrete reality that we can put our trust in. Faith 
So interesting. If we look at Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10, we see Abraham. It says, by faith. See, just in this chapter, there's like tw- over 20 references to faith. Just in this chapter. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham, he lived with discontentment in his heart. He lived dissatisfied. He wasn't perfect. He was far from that. But it was his faith that was fueling him to not live the way he was that he could live. He decided that he wanted to set his faith on something more real than what he saw. And he wanted to put his faith in a coming city, a real place whose builder and maker is God, something he could not see but was concrete and had foundations. And he was setting his faith towards that end. We read on and we see Moses in verse 24 of Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered, this is so profound, he considered the reproach of the coming Messiah, Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. So Moses recognized there was pleasure here and now. There was real pleasure that he could obtain now. And he also recognized there was a greater pleasure that was found in the reward of Jesus. There was a greater treasure available for him. So he chose by faith to be wise and to live for the greater reward than the fleeting pleasures that were available for him in Egypt. So what is it that we glean from these guys' lives? What is it that we glean from their lives? If they are witnesses to us, what are they witnesses of? They lived by faith in the midst of a world like ours that pleaded with them to store up treasures where they were. They lived their life with faith. John Piper says it like this. Faith is a being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. Not just an assent to truths, but heartfelt heartfelt valuing and treasuring of all that God promises to be for us in Jesus. See, the difficulty within our culture is that it's so easy for us to never touch our discontentment. We live in a culture that is like a machine. It's always moving. It's always busy. There's always something new to be doing and something fresh to be bought and something, you know, something new to have. And it's in that that we can lose sight of the fact that we are actually a discontent people in our culture it's so easy to never touch that until tragedy strikes our lives and we actually realize oh man this thing really is but a vapor life will eventually end and it's not just about storing up treasures here and now it plays out like this the the reality of faith has been so transforming for my life because i've i've begun to see that we have these five senses right we have Sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touch. And in these five senses, they, they govern us and how we live our lives. If we're hungry, we eat. If we're thirsty, we drink. If we want something with our, if we want something, we see something we want, we get it. It's our senses that govern how we do and what we do and why we do. They govern everything about us. You know, we're all slavery 
in slavery to ourselves and to sin. We love the creation rather than the creator. And so Jesus came and he took our sin and he took our punishment on himself for us. And by putting our faith in Jesus, we receive, we we are born again. And in being born again, we receive a thing called the sixth sense. And it's not to see dead people. Sixth sense, that guy's weird. That kid is one weird dude. But that's not what I'm referring to. The sixth sense is faith. And so our five senses, until we see Jesus face to face, our five senses will wage war against our sixth sense faith. Our five senses will tell us to live a certain way, and our sixth sense will plead with us out of discontentment to not give ourselves in such a, such a full way like our culture, like our flesh is telling us to do. See, Lent is such a beautiful time to recognize our discontentment. And I love the way you guys are going with this season of freedom from and freedom into. It's at its heart is a cry of discontentment. Recognizing that where we are, we're not satisfied with. And so we realize we're freed from certain things and we're freed into greater pleasure that's available for us. See, our flesh, it it longs to worship the creation. Romans 1 tells us that. It says, claiming to be wise, humanity has become foolish. Why? Because they've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. In other words, we've exchanged what we were made for, which is worship. We all will worship something, and we were made to worship the Creator, but we've all chosen to worship His creation. And in choosing to worship His creation, it's as if we've hit a ceiling. When we seek to worship, the and worship, you might say, I don't worship the creation, but when we put our joy in the creation, in the things of this life, it's like as we hit a ceiling and we only can go so far with it. The, the joy that's found in this life is so fleeting. It's so momentary. You get a, a fix for a second and then you want something else. And so it's as if we hit a ceiling. And when we hit a ceiling, we recognize our own restlessness. And when we find our own restlessness, it provokes us to want to medicate our restlessness so we can continue to give ourselves to finding joy in the creation. You following me? And so we, we hit the ceiling and it produces restlessness. This is not satisfying. So I have to medicate myself in such a way to continue to silence the reality that I am actually restless in my heart because I'm putting my joy in creation and not the Creator. Claiming to be wise, they became foolish. And so we medicate ourselves with alcohol, drugs, and sex, the, the things that everybody says that we do, but it's much more than that. We medicate ourselves with sports. We medicate ourselves with fashion. We medicate ourselves any of the likeness of things, including trinkets and gadgets. We medicate ourselves with things to quench the restless itch within our hearts. And before I continue, I want to make something really clear that there's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with having a a nice home or a nice house. But what the problem is, is our heart. Our heart is an idol factory. Anything and everything has been an idol, and anything and everything can be an idol can be a counterfeit of the Creator. And so it's not so much the stuff that's the problem, it's our heart that puts that stuff on a throne and worships it or finds its joy in it. So technology, it's moving in such a fast pace 
that by the time you get bored with your current phone, a new one is out, so you never feel the restlessness. So now we have Siri as our friends, you know, until the next one comes out. And so we have those things, and they, they medicate our hearts, keeping us from touching the fact that we're restless, which is why Lent is so beautiful. Because we can take 40 days and abstain from things that are hindering us. Not bad things. Good things that we've made great things when only one thing should be great. And abstaining from those things so we can find our joy in Jesus. That's the beauty of Lent. So we we use the stuff to medicate us and we're then stolen from the joy that Jesus bought for us on the cross. We medicate ourselves in such a way that we don't experience the joy of the gospel, namely Jesus, because we're medicated. I am the first to raise my hand for this thing. I got things written down on my note card over there. I didn't see the offering bucket, so it's still over there. But I got stuff in my own life that the Lord's been highlighting, things I've made exalted in my own life. And therefore, I'm restless in my heart because I... When I have five minutes, I pull out my phone immediately and figure, look at Facebook or look at whatever. Why? Because I'm restless. We've got to recognize we're, we're restless in our hearts, so we chase after everything because we're in this machine and we have to recognize, whoa, like, I am restless and there's a greater joy than it's Jesus, which is why Lent is so good for us. See, even the most wonderful things in this life are far Short from the joy found in Jesus. C.S. Lewis said it like this. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that true? We want to be honest with ourselves, and sometimes we just can't be. Sometimes it's too hard for us to be honest with ourselves. But if we really want to be honest with ourselves, we are far too easily pleased, settling for far short, and therefore living so restless. And that restlessness leads not just in going to trinkets and gadgets, it ends up playing out in our relationships. We find that we're not satisfied with our relationships, so we take it out on our relationships, on our spouse. We end up trying to find something new and bigger and better. Maybe that looks trying to find another spouse or trying to do something else. There's this ongoing cycle of restlessness and it will not end until we see Jesus because our five senses are waging war with our sixth sense. And it's only through faith where we can fight this fight of faith. Jonathan Edwards said it like this, to go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better and the most pleasant accommodations here. This is the beauty of Lent, to recognize our mortality, to recognize we really are here today, gone tomorrow, which is in part why they put the little cross on your forehead. It's just to remember, you might have like seen people that like leave church, like, what is on your head? What is a black thing? So the, the point of the little cross thing, I don't know if you guys will do that or not, but the point of that is just to recognize we are mortal. We are, we are so frail. We are just here for a minute. And there's eternal joy available for us. We are beings that are far too easily pleased. And it's simply because we just don't recognize, I don't recognize the devastating exchange that took place when I exchanged the Creator for the creation. We don't recognize that we are missing out on an amount of joy that has no ceiling. 
Psalm 1611, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Fullness. And at your right hand is pleasures forevermore. It's only in Him that we find true joy. We have to remind ourselves that joy doesn't begin then when we see Him. Joy begins now by faith. In gaining Jesus, we gain a treasure that has no comparison. We have to just really ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do I believe that? In gaining Jesus, I gain a treasure that has no comparison. It doesn't happen by flying through life, which is why Lent is so good for us. You know, just flying through in the, in the motion of life, the machine of life, it's so easy to just not even think that we're discontent, not even think that we have this itch on the inside. So taking Lent... And laying aside things like this says, laying aside hindrances, things that are just weighing us down or sins that are holding us down, laying those things aside for 40 days and just saying, Lord, I want my affections for you to grow. I'm not content in just going through this motion. I'm going to set aside, it can be in thousands of different things. I don't want to give you a list of five things. Each of us are unique in what our counterfeits are. And so we have to ask the Lord, what are those things for us? And so we lay aside what those things are and in return we replace it with a greater joy found in Jesus. My desire for us and for my own life is that we wouldn't grow stagnant. We wouldn't allow our senses to govern our affections and how easy, how easy they are to govern our affections. We don't have to feed our senses. Our senses are naturally fed by just living. You wake up, they're being fed. They're constantly being fed. And so my desire is that we would not stay stagnant, but that we would feed our faith. We'd really feed our faith in community together and getting in the Word together and praying for each other and doing those kind of things. My desire is that we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be that, I'm 26 years old, that I wouldn't be the passionate 20-something. That when I get in my 30s, I get suffocated by the American dream and I just settle down to live normal life. Or the, or the, the 50-year-old that, that is living no different than, than their neighbor who has no hope. My desire is that each of us would stir our affections up and, and live in a way that's in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. At the end of Paul's letter to his friend Timothy, they've been through the gauntlet together. I mean, Timothy's a grown man. He gets circumcised in Acts 16 and crazy things are happening and they become best buds. And, and at the end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy and he says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the fight of faith. Why? Because we're in a war. There are five senses and the sixth sense. So fight with faith. Fuel yourself with faith using the word and prayer and community. Use your faith to fight against these five senses. So in conclusion, I, I just want to challenge us in my own self to really take time to really consider what are things that are, that are hindering me. What are things that are weighing me down? They might not be the sin thing, you know, on the top ten list of the most intense sins. It might just be something, you know, my own heart, I do this when I have spare time, and I just, my affections always go there. And I just want to take time and not do that for a season. And in this Lent season, turn my affections back on Jesus and ask Him to awaken desire afresh for Him, awaken desire for the Word, awaken desire for prayer. Because like I said, it won't come on the fly. It'll come by us dialing down, laying aside certain things and saying, Lord, I, by your Holy Spirit, will you awaken love? Will you awaken desire for me to pursue you in a fresh way? So in light of that, let's just pray together.
Lord, we just confess we are weak and broken people. We recognize that we do not have it together. Lord, we're far from it, but we recognize that there is one who does and we want to set our heart on Him. We thank You for the joy found in You, Lord. And Lord, we recognize that we run to and fro trying to scratch the itch of our heart. And we recognize that we are people that are far too easily pleased. So Lord, I I pray in this community and in my own heart that you would awaken affection in our hearts for Jesus. I pray that you would use this Lent season to remind us of our discontentment and that we would put our faith in your Son. God, I pray that you would highlight, I ask Holy Spirit, would you convict my heart and our hearts? Would you convict us to run the race, God? You would convict us of things that are holding us back, things that maybe we don't see blind spots that we may have. I pray you'd search our hearts, God. We welcome you, Lord, to search us. We need you, God, to help us. I pray you'd meet every person in this room where they're at. You let us see the joy of the prize of this race. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we'll do is uh, we'll have some ministry times, uh, ministry teams up here if you want to just get prayer. If there's something the Lord's highlighting to you, I'd encourage you just to ask somebody to pray for you. It's always good to get the body to help us out. And I would really encourage you, if the Lord is highlighting things, to maybe even tell somebody, you know, the Lord's highlighting this, I want to do this during Lent season. And not that, let this just be something that, oh, that was, that was good, I, I feel that, and then we leave and are unchanged. But really ask the Lord to search our hearts and really... Uh, heed the word and not just hear it. Amen.